Well, Church of God, great to be together again and to share the Word of God as we've been going through the book of 1 Peter, the letter of 1 Peter. I just want to tell you about an experience I had when I was in high school. Sometime in my mid-high school, there was a movement of God that was uh, happening uh, called the Jesus Movement. And uh, for a time, there was an interest in spiritual things. And those of us who were Christians uh, got together and prayed and invited people to coffee shops and whatnot. And it was, it was wonderful to see God working. It was incredible to watch the joy that people had, the sense of forgiveness of sin and uh, the hope of eternal life. And uh, it was, was such a, a wonderful experience. And one of the people who became uh, a follower of Christ was a man by the a young man by the name of Michael. And uh, just to see the joy that he had in his face was uh, incredible for us. Uh, what we weren't prepared for was the response that Michael would get when he went home and told his parents that he'd become a Christian. They were uh, just downright antagonistic toward him. They were angry. They were put off by this whole thing and uh, just sorry that he ever got involved with us. You see, they were Jewish, and for them, this was a, a terrible thing that their son would be, if you will, a defector from the Jewish faith and become a Christian. In fact, it was so bad that even as a teenager, uh, they booted him out of the house. They kicked him out. And uh, somebody from our church had to take him in. Um, this was a sobering time for all of us because he wanted to follow Jesus. We'd helped him follow Jesus, but they didn't see the kind of uh, thing that would happen to him because of his face, the cost that it would co uh, cost him. And uh, I wonder about you. I wonder if you've experienced persecution or deprivation or some kind of problem or suffering just because you're a Christian, that people don't treat you well, that they don't want you uh, in, their, uh, in their group and that kind of thing. It, it can be a confusing time for people when they're suffering for the cause of faith, suffering, if you will, for Jesus. And Peter wants to encourage people who are in that kind of uh, position. In fact, Peter wraps his whole letter up um, to this group of Christians who are, they're uh, undergoing problems because of their faith. They're suffering because of their faith. And, uh, and Peter wants to encourage them to hang in there. This was a whole group in Asia Minor. In fact, Peter wraps up his, his epistle with, uh, in chapter 5 and verse 12 saying, I've written to you briefly encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. He was speaking to this group of people and encouraging them to hang with the faith. Don't deny. Don't, don't uh, run away from it. You've got the real deal. Uh, this is uh, the true grace of God. What you've experienced, what you have is God's true grace. And then stand fast in it or hold on or hang in there and keep going in it. Um, what you and I were taught, uh, he says, that's the real deal. And you can't depart from it. And no matter what is happening to you, no matter what challenges you face, uh, don't abandon even in the midst of suffering. Don't give up, but hold on. That's Peter's message. 
So this letter is predominantly to help Christians who've run into problems because of their faith hang in there. And, uh, and even if they're made fun of, even if they lose their job, even if they're suffering and challenges they have, he wants to encourage them to stay with the faith. He wants to help them continue to stay faithful. And he shares a few things that will be helpful for us as we think about how we can endure problems or difficulties or challenges as well and stay faithful. So here are a few things that he uh, gives us that will help us. First thing is this, live a good life. Live a good life. He, he says here in chapter uh, 3 of 1 Peter, verse 13, he says, Who's going to harm you if you are eager to do good? Who's going to get on your case? Who's going to bug you? Who's going to bother you if you're living a good life? Now, there's a measure of uh, truth to that, uh, to be sure. Uh, sometimes Christians can invite problems on themselves because of how they behave or the attitude they have. Uh, they can be harsh or unloving, unkind, thoughtless, miserly, untruthful, snobby, uh, self-righteous, all of that kind of thing. And, and so the, the first thing he wants to tell us is this, live a good life. And that's going to that's gonna help you not have to endure uh, some stuff that you don't want to put up with um, because you're living a good life. Um, Gerda worked uh, with a woman who was a Christian and she told her fellow workers that she was a Christian. The problem was she had a really bad reputation in the workplace. She had a reputation of being lazy and uh, pushing off harder assignments to other people and, and not being on time and all of this kind of thing. And it didn't gain her any points. And anything that she had uh, felt and, and being ostracized was in part by her own uh, ill behavior at work. You, you see, as Christians, sometimes we deserve what we get if we don't live in a good and, uh, and a healthy way and we become shabby representatives of Jesus Christ. Well, what does is, what is a good person look like? What is that goodness? Well, uh, Will helped us look at this last week with this passage in uh, same chapter, chapter 3 and verses 8 and 9. He says this, be sympathetic, love one another. Be compassionate and humble. Don't repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to this you were called so that you may be a blessing. That's, uh, Will laid that out for us, what a good person looks like. And uh, my question is for all of us to look into our own heart. Does that reflect our lifestyle? Do we reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ in our life? Do people respect you for your lifestyle? Do they honor you because you're a good person? Uh, and I wish we could uh, stop at this point and say, you know what, if you live a good, pleasant, happy, good life, uh, you won't have any problems. But when we go on in this passage, we read in verse 14, but even if you should suffer for what is right, you're blessed. And I don't know about you, but I want to stop at that point and say, whoa, whoa, whoa. You say, if we will uh, live a good life, 
we still might have problems and suffering, even if we're doing the best and we're kind and considerate and help others and do uh, act charitably and are, are dignified. Um, and what Peter is telling us, yeah, that's a possibility. Um, Peter continues with this outburst. If you suffer for doing good, I don't like the sound of that. Uh, if you live a good life, and you're persecuted anyway, that's tough. In fact, that's exactly what Jesus warned us of in chapter 15 of John's gospel. He said, if the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. He goes on to say, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. Now, there's nobody better than Jesus. There's nobody who was, was as good as Jesus, as caring, as loving, as kind, and all the rest of that thing. In fact, in, in Jesus, it says um, that he went about doing good. He was the epitome, the, the very definition of good. And uh, the trouble is, in our broken and our fa uh, fallen world, uh, we have only too many examples of this kind of thing, that even when people are good, something bad, or they can suffer for it. I think of the story of Mother Teresa. I've had the privilege of being uh, in Kolkata, India, and been in Mother Teresa's home uh, for the destitute and the dying. And uh, it's interesting that she recounts a, uh, an experience that she had when she was trying to get money so that she could buy food for her orphans. And uh, she approached a wealthy businessman there, and she said to him, uh, Sir, do you have anything you can give us so I can feed the children? And he looked at her and spit in her outstretched hands. She took her hand and, and wiped it off on, on her habit. And then uh, she looked up and she said, Thank you for that, sir but do you have anything for the children as well? And you think, how can a person be so mean and so callous and unthinking and unfeeling? And uh, that guy actually came under such conviction later that he donated uh, much food to her. But you say, how do people do stuff like that? Well, they do. We live in this fallen and broken world where that kind of thing happens. And people can be cruel against Christians because they're Christians, because they're different, because they have a holy lifestyle or whatever it is. Uh, they can be against Christians and uh, for no good reason. Well, the reality is the Christian faith doesn't promise that we won't have trials or pain or suffering in this life. Some of you may have been told that if you became a Christian, if you were a follower of Christ, your life would be just wonderful. There would be no problems. You'd, you'd, everything would go well for you. And I apologize because that is not what the Bible talks about. The Bible says that even if you are a, 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 a good person, you can suffer at the hands of people who are not Christian. Well, how do we handle this if we encounter this kind of situation? Well, the first thing we can, the second thing rather we can do is understand God's perspective in all of this. Understand God's perspective on suffering. And so in verse 14, he says this, um, even if you should suffer for what is right, you're blessed. And here's his point. Persecuted Christians are blessed by God. 
Persecuted Christians are blessed by God. You may not have this understanding in your mind, and you need to have this and understand this, that you can be persecuted, and, and, and that doesn't mean that God is against you, but it could mean that God's blessing is upon you. For us, persecution or suffering um, and blessing don't go together at all. The two words uh, seem to be at odds with each other. But that's, that's not what Jesus says. Uh, how can you be suffer? How can you suffer and be persecuted and at the same time divide, uh, define that as blessed? How can you consider yourself blessed when you're poorly treated? Uh, it's, it's an oxymoron for us. So Peter, who has spent so much time with Jesus, listening to his teaching, I'm sure was shaped by Matthew chapter 5 in the Beatitudes, where Jesus said this, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So there's a mindset that we can take the honor of suffering and blessedness and join them together. Peter claimed that he would do ed, uh, anything for the Lord, that he, anything God, that the Lord wanted him to do, he would be faithful to the Lord. If, if the Lord would, going through uh, the worst kind of difficulties, he would always hang with him and stay with him. And, uh, and so we see Peter making this rash vow or statement about himself uh, that he would hang with Jesus. Uh, and what happened was quite different. When he was under pressure, when they had come and taken Jesus, uh, Peter now denied the Lord three times. And uh, he, he felt absolutely terrible about what he'd done. Uh, he, uh, what the Lord had done for him was rescue him from condemnation and judgment and, and all of those things. And here he was, and uh, he claimed he'd do anything for Jesus. And in the end, a little servant girl could chase him off. Well, Peter and the disciples had an opportunity of owning and not despising that suffering. Uh, they were, as the disciples, imprisoned. They were threatened. They were beaten. They were brought before the uh, Sanhedrin, the Grand Council. And we're told in Acts chapter 5 that they rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer for the Lord. Uh, for the name of Christ, they had failed him previously, and now here they were standing up for him, saying uh, that, that they, would, they would willingly uh, experience this, and, and they would allow this, and it demonstrated to them that they were genu genuine people. He said they were blessed because yours is the kingdom of heaven. They had a future they verified that they were his children. They didn't back off him. They owned that. And uh, they had a right attitude. Blessedness as honor before shame. They had the right attitude. But there was another attitude they needed to have, and that was this. They needed to be in, in a place where they didn't succumb to fear. Look at what it says going on here. He says in verse uh, 14... Do not fear. Uh, do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. To be sure, they, had, they faced some threatening opposition. The prospects of harm were there 
all the time. And it could grip them with fear and intimidate them. We saw how Peter had been fearful when a little servant girl said, hey, you were with him. I know who you are. You're one of his followers. Uh, I, I can tell you're, by your accent, you're a Galilean. And Peter begins to curse and swear and said, I have never seen them. I don't know what you're talking about. Well, this is a, a, a terrible uh, a terrible fault on his part. And all the disciples fled. All the disciples abandoned Jesus. And Peter says, don't fear their threats. The same Peter, the same Peter who, who a little servant girl could send him into palpitations and, and have him running for his life, is telling us, don't fear. Uh, how, can you, how can you do that when the fear seems so real? when the threat is so in your face. It's easy to say, but how do you do that? Well, I found if we fear God, we don't fear people. If we fear God, then and we reverence him, then we don't worry because of his power, of his program, of, of what he has and who he is. That loses a grip on us. It dispels fear. Fearlessness is a result of recognizing the limit of what can, can be done to you. And there's some stuff that can't be done to you. Most of what happens to us, let's face it, in North America, we don't really know what, what severe persecution is at this time. And, um, but he says that persecution can be uh, limited. The extreme, in the extreme, we could lose our lives in, more, in uh, martyrdom, but no one can take eternal life from us. The most they can do is take our life, not uh, our eternal life. And so Jesus says in Luke chapter 12, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that can do nothing more. But I warn you whom to fear. Fear him who after he is killed has the authority to cast you into hell. He says, don't worry about that. The most they can do to you is kill you. But if they kill you, you'll live with me forever and ever in a glorious situation. You'll never lose your eternal salvation and reward. Don't be afraid. You never saw Jesus afraid. Have you thought of that? He was never fearful. He had totally committed himself to his father. And, and he understood that he would have to die and experience suffering and pain, but he was never afraid. And he says to us, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I've uh, found it interesting that somebody's gone through the whole Bible and, and counted the number of times it says, do not fear, do not fear. And uh, they came up with his number 365 times. Hey, there's one for every day that we live um, without fear. And, and trusting God day after day after day, that admonition, don't fear. He's with us. He will care for us. Well, thirdly, um, how we get through this kind of suffering and challenge that we have when, even when we live a good life is this. Share the hope that you have in Christ. Listen to what it says in uh, 1 Peter 3 and verse 15. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. He says what, what he wants us to do is to revere Christ 
in our hearts, to make him special, to make him separate, uh, central, to make him the object of our loyalty, of our worship, that we would uh, be trusting him uh, at all times. And when you do this, uh, when you do this, uh, what he does for us is this. Uh, we can watch Christians and what they go through and, and we see the life they live. We respond to adversity and suffering and challenges. Uh, when, we, when we do that and people see us and the Holy Spirit is working in us and we don't, we're not fearful and we're very measured and calm and there's a sense of trust. Even when we're mistreated, we don't fight back in kind. We're charitable, we're helping, we're compassionate. And they see that and they can't put it together. We should be vindictive. We should be trying to hurt somebody back. No, he, when, when we see that we live the kind of life that God wants us to, uh, that uh, he really puts on display our faith. And uh, when there's a death in the family, when we're laid off and we don't know where the next meal's going to come from or, or finances, when we're treated abusively at work, people are watching. People are watching all the time. And here's the thing that, that uh, they should see in us if we're living the way we should. It's hope. It's hope that there's something good beyond today, that there's something that drives us forward um, in, in uh, of what we have in the Lord. Five times in 1 Peter, uh, we're told about hope. We're admonished uh, that we have this hope and we need to live in this hope. And uh, where, does, where does hope come from after all? Um, why, do, why don't... Uh, why don't you fight back? Uh, why don't you become vindictive? Why don't you treat them as they treat you? Why, don't you, why do you have to be kind? And, and when they see this kind of thing, it begs a question. Now, all of our lives as people, I've noticed that often if you're a Christian and people know you're a Christian, they watch you. They, they want to make sure that uh, there's no hypocrisy. They, they'll test you at times as well. Um, and, and this is what we were talking about a couple of weeks ago, lifestyle evangelism, that when we live that life, when Christ is central in our life, when he's revered in our heart, that uh, people will see a difference in him. And that's going to promote uh, them asking a question at some time. What is it about you? Why are you the way you are? And uh, we're told to be prepared to answer that that it's Jesus Christ and what he's done in our heart and our life. And he says this too. He says, uh, I, I don't want you to, uh, I don't want you to, I want you to watch how you speak about your faith when, when you ask this. Here, here's what he says there. He said, when you respond to them, do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against you, your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. When you respond to them, how they, what they're looking to see is a response that is gentle. It's humble. It's respectful. It's done with a clear conscience. There's no superiority. There's no arrogance. There's no pushiness. There's no derogatory self-righteousness. Uh, these people ha have been uh, treated. And, and uh, when they see this, it invites them to
to also know and see and experience Jesus Christ too. In our first church, we had, uh, our church went uh, through two small st uh, streets. And uh, bordering our church uh, laneway was the uh, driveway of our neighbor, our back neighbor. And I live very close to the church, and so I would walk back and forth uh, to the church, and uh, I would see the guy from that church. His name was Ken. Uh, Ken really had nothing to do with uh, the church. He didn't really know anybody there, per se. He never had interaction with a pastor there. And because I was so close, I walked by his place every day, and I would say hello to him. And uh, that hello would... Uh, sometimes cause us to stop and chat for a while and we'd go further and we would begin to talk about interesting issues that were out there uh, to a kind of a friendship where we went fishing together, we went four-wheeling together and uh, eventually to meals and uh, having our wives join as well. There was a, rel uh, a, uh, a relationship of trust that we were developing, a conversation. Uh, he had never had anything to do with the church, uh, but he seemed to connect with me as we developed over quite some time this relationship. And then he surprised me one day. He said, you know, one of these days, I'm going to really surprise you, and I'm going to show up for church. And I said, that would be great. Then one day, sure enough, there he was with his wife coming into church just as I was walking into the auditorium. I was so impressed. Um, he had a question, but he kept that question for the longest time. And then it was on an Easter weekend. He came over, saw me at the church, came over, and he opened his heart to Jesus Christ. See, what God wants to do is he wants us to show our faith and, uh, and uh, have people see and understand something of who Jesus is and that we can answer the question, what is, it, what is it about you that makes you the way you are? It's an opening to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Well, Peter says, it's better if it's God's will to suffer for doing good than suffer for evil. So if you've got to suffer, make sure you're suffering for doing something good, not because you did something wrong. Um, and uh, his, his final point here is this. Follow the example of Jesus. And uh, that goes from uh, chapter 3, verses 18 to 22. Now, I got to tell you that this passage of Scripture is reputed to be maybe the toughest passage to understand. Uh, and I'm not going to get mired in all the views about what this or that is, but the big picture is very clear in this. Uh, and, and it's, we need to follow the example of Jesus Christ. In everything we're, we do, we're told to watch the Savior, to watch our Lord and see what he does and how he lives and how he comports himself and to model ourselves after him. So here's what it says. It says, for Christ also suffered once uh, for uh, sins, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. There's the gospel uh, in a nutshell. Uh, Christ suffered. We suffer. Christ suffered before us. And, and he suffered, it says here, once for sin. When he, when he suffered, that was it. 
He didn't have to suffer again. And, and uh, he suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous. There are no, the Bible says there are none righteous. No, not one. And what he does is he died in our place. The righteous took my place as an unrighteous person so that I could, uh, that I could be brought to God. And everybody who becomes a believer in Jesus Christ needs to accept that which Jesus has done when he died in my place, when he took my sin upon him and died um, assuming my penalty, that my faith in that is what brings me into a right relationship with God. He said he was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. And after being made alive, he went and made a proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently for the days of Noah, when the ark was being built. It was only a few people, eight in all, who were saved through the water, and this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not only a removal of dirt from the body, but a pledge of a clear conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at, the, at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. What he's saying is this. He came and he suffered. And when he suffered, uh, he, he gave, not only gave his life, but he was resurrected. He gave his life in the body. He was resurrected by the spirit. And uh, he taught, he goes back to the days of Noah and how terrible the people were and how God brought this global deluge and how, how that uh, Noah preached and preached to the people, but they did not respond at all. In a, sim a similar way, he said, uh, Peter and others have preached and it has not been received. They were saved through water. God brought them into an ark, and through that flood, he kept them safe. And he said for us, it was like this. Uh, he said it was, he saves us through water also. And he talks about baptism. Now, he's not meaning just uh, the act of baptism. It's the faith that goes into it. And baptism is what is a picture of that whole uh, experience in coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And what he says here is, I suffered, but I was raised again. And look at what he says at the end. He's in heaven. He's at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. Everything is submit, uh, submits to him. And what we see here is the vindication of Jesus Christ. And he says, look, at, keep going and keep in the faith because just as I was raised Again, you'll be raised again. Just as I was vindicated, you'll be vindicated again. And uh, the, the people who uh, under, didn't understand and who hurt you and all of that will one day, unless they repent, will see and understand that we as God's people have been vindicated by him. And it will be worth it all. A number of years ago, I had the wonderful privilege of hearing Dr. Yosef Tsan uh, speak. Um, he was a pastor in Romania in uh, communist re regime under the uh, Ceausescu. And uh, he was one of the few people who was able to travel and got an education at Oxford in theology. And uh, he came back and, and uh, the 
the communist regime was not friendly toward Christians at all. And they were put down, they were harassed, uh, they were sometimes beaten and imprisoned. And uh, so Dr. Tsong was under the watchful eye of the chief of police and their secret police. Um, he was harassed over and over again. He was hauled in for questioning. Uh, he was... Uh, he was challenged all the time, and uh, they, this particular uh, chief of police would not relent in bothering him, hurting him in any way he could. And uh, Tsan would say to him every, every time that he spoke to him, he said, Jesus loves you, and I love you. And uh, that, that was repeated over and over again. One night, a terrible thing happened, and... Uh, the police chief brought several other of the police and they went and knocked on his door. He got his children and his wife back in the house. They came in and abused him. They took out his massive library that was uh, such a, a precious thing to him, piled them up in the front lawn and uh, poured kerosene on it and lit them on fire. He stood there with, with tears streaming down his face and uh, uh, then this police chief came to him and said, what do you think now? Do you think God loves me now? And uh, he replied, Jesus loves you and I love you too. They went away leaving the cinders as he kicked some of the books trying to, to save whatever he could. And uh, in the middle of the night, the police chief came and knocked on his door. He came and he was standing there with tears in his eyes. He, he felt so terrible. He was under conviction and he said, what do I need to do for this God to love me? He says, in, Peter says here, um, that we need to watch what we do and we need to respond properly. That those who speak maliciously against you and your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. He came back with shame and the Holy Spirit had so convicted him of his wrong that he trusted Christ then and there. Peter wants us to know sometimes the Christian life can be full of challenges and uh, that doesn't mean that God doesn't love us or isn't working and that we should expect some of this and he will give us the strength to go through and sometimes what he will do for us is he can use the struggles that we have to showcase us what God and what Jesus Christ is like, that they may come to faith also. And I trust that that will happen with us as we are faithful to him. Let's pray. Father, we recognize uh, that you teach us that being a Christian is not always going to be something that can be uh, without challenges and struggles and trials. I pray, Father, that we will be faithful to you and we will not back out, that we will not be fearful, that we will not, um, not behave ourselves properly. And I pray, Father, that you would help us uh, to show the beauty of Jesus Christ. And I pray that our lives would invite questions why are you the way you are? What is it about this hope that you have and that many people would come to know Jesus even as we have also? In Christ's name, amen.